everyone. Uh, my name is Stuart Mazell. I am pastor here. It's great to see all of you here today and thank you for all of you who are joining us online. Uh, we are going to be continuing our series on identity and I do want to just uh, give us a brief overview of where we've been over the past several weeks. We've seen that we are created in the image of God and that gives us significant dignity, significant worth. But it also tells us that we have a humble status because we're not God, we are his images. We are created in his image. And that causes us to have some humility about us. Um, no matter what's happened in the past, no matter how dark and sinful and ugly things may have been, Christ is able to reshape us by his grace and make, remake our identity. That's something that we all need to hear. For Christians, our identity is grounded in Christ. And that means that because of him, we have a right standing with God. We've been adopted into his family as his beloved children. And today we're going to look at how Christ shapes the identity of those who follow him in a different way. And it's a little bit complicated. I'm going to try to put it on the lowest shelf I can but I just want you to know that some of this is going to be a little bit hard, so you're going to have to use your gray matter in, you know, in your brain to really follow along, but I'm going to try to make it as simple and easy as I can. Now, if you're not a follower of Christ, and you think these sermons don't really um, relate to me, I can understand why you would say that, because we are talking about our identity in Christ today. But I hope that you will see something of the mystery and the complexity, as well as the hope and the grandeur of belonging to Jesus, and that he would draw you to himself by his spirit today by what you hear. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 14 should be on the screen here. This is God's word, and it says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Let's pray. Father, these are hard words in many ways. Uh, there's a complexity here that's hard for our minds really to wrap around. So by your spirit, will you help us today 
uh, to understand what it is that you want us to understand, that we would grow in our understanding of who we are in Christ, for those of us who are in Christ. And for those of us who are not, Lord Jesus, would you draw them to yourself by your spirit, that they would hear something of your truth, that they would see something of your grace, and that they, they would be drawn into the family, and that we would all celebrate as to what you have done in their lives. In the meantime, will you help us to live in this tension we feel and help us to understand how to navigate that tension between the now and the not yet of our salvation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you think of when I say the word tension? Does anybody have positive feelings when you hear the word tension? Probably not, because we have things like tension headaches. I get those from time to time. Uh, we have relational tension. And whenever we have relational tension, that's not normally considered a, a good thing. Um, we sometimes will walk in a room and we say, the tension in the room was palatable. You could feel the tension. It was so strong. And that is not a good thing. Right? We talk about diffusing tension. E even in the medical world, tension sometimes doesn't have um, a positive spin. Like hypertension, which is high blood pressure. Right? And having high blood pressure is not a good thing. And then when we think about our work, if this cup has anything to do with the way we think about it, if I could have a cup on the screen, please. There we go. Goodbye tension, hello pension. That's the way a lot of us think about work. That work gives us tension. It makes us tense. But retirement, woohoo! I'm free and I can enjoy life again. That's the way many people think about their work. So the word tension is not something that we really like. It's not something we want. It's not something we embrace. Tension is something we try to avoid or to relieve. But ultimately, tension cannot be avoided in this life. And realistically, tension in general will not be completely relieved in this life. And this is true for everyone, but it is especially true for the follower of Christ. And that's what we want to talk about today. Being in tension as a follower of Christ. You see, our understanding of our identity, that's what we've been talking about in this sermon series, is our understanding of who we really are in even who we really are in Christ, but our understanding of our, our identity in Christ must take into consideration the tension, the tension of living in the now and not yet of our salvation. Now that's a lot to take in, so let me, let me repeat that. Our understanding of our identity in Christ must take into consideration the tension of living in the now and the not yet of our salvation. 
Let's try to break that down. Whether you know it or not, there is a now and a not yet to the salvation that we have in Christ. Think about what the scriptures say about salvation. Really quickly, from Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Notice there is a past tense to that. You have been saved. It already has occurred, right? But then the same author, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 2, says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. You see, that's not a past tense, that is a present tense. You are being saved. Even in this moment, there is something about your salvation that is coming in present tense now. And then the same author, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in Romans 13, 11, says this, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. That is a future sense of our salvation. Right? So here we have a past sense. You have been saved. We have a present tense. You are being saved. And a future tense. Our salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. It's still yet to come. This is what we mean when we say that we are in between the now and the not yet of our salvation. Again, low shelf. There is a reality to our salvation that is sure and certain in the past. It is not a questionable thing. It is something that God has definitively done in the past because of Jesus. But there is also a reality of our salvation that is continuously being given to us in the present. We are experiencing more and more of what that salvation really is here today than when we first believed. And there is a reality of the full expression of our salvation that is still yet to come. It's something that we're waiting for, something that we're hoping for, something that we continually say, I long for the day when I will be able to see Jesus face to face. Right? And so we live in this tension between the now and the not yet, what God has already done, what God is doing, what God will do, Again, low shelf. If I, if I had to try to explain this to someone who's like, I've never heard this concept before. I have no idea what you're talking about. Help me to understand. Think about engagement. When you get engaged, if you are engaged, you're already there. If you have been engaged, if one day you get engaged, it's the same thing. You're not exactly single anymore when you're engaged. Right? Somebody put uh, a ring on that finger. And now you're in a different status than single. 
but you're not yet married. You get to enjoy some of the benefits of being in a solid relationship because of the engagement, but you can't enjoy all of the benefits of being married because you're not yet married. So you're in between. You're in a now and a not yet. And that is very similar to what we see in the scriptures when it comes to our salvation. That there is a tension that comes with that status. Just like if you're, you're not single, you're not married, but you're somewhere in between, we have been saved and yet our salvation has something still left for us to experience that we have not yet experienced. You've heard me say many times from this uh, stage area that we have been given every spiritual blessing in the Lord Jesus. That comes straight from Ephesians chapter 1. Now let me ask you, do you experience every spiritual blessing every single day of your life? Is your experience of that always, you're on cloud nine? No. No. You've heard me say right up here many times from 2 Peter 1, 3 that everything we need when it comes to life and godliness is found in our knowledge of Jesus. Everything you need for life and for godliness. Here's the question. Just today, do you experience and feel that yes, I have everything I need? For life. I have everything I need for godliness. Do you feel that? Or does it feel like, no, I don't? That's the tension. The tension between the now and the not yet of what God has done for us in Christ. And that's what brings us to our passage today. Sorry, that was all introduction. That's what brings us to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul is expressing some of the tension that we as followers of Christ experience in the now and not yet of our salvation. As he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Think about what he's saying here. We have a treasure, the treasure of the glory and power of God of God, the God who created all things and who is sovereign over all things, the very power of God, the knowledge of God, the truth of God, the goodness of God, everything that God has somehow, in some way, is in us because of the Holy Spirit residing in followers of Christ. And yet we're jars of clay. God has this priceless treasure that he did not keep in a fireproof, waterproof, biometric safe with a pry-resistant hinge bar in the middle of a room armed with a laser tripwire security system. He put that treasure in cracked, chipped, and broken clay jars. 
Doesn't sound like a very good system, does it? And yet, that's what God has done. The treasure of the glory and power of God is in weak, fragile, and broken people like me, like you. The tension between the power of the resurrection being at work in us by the Holy Spirit and living in a body that is weak, that is aging, and that is constantly moving towards death. As Christians, that is who we are in this present age. We are weak and fragile vessels containing the glory and power of God. Isn't that amazing to think about? That that is who I am, a weak and uh, broken, fragile person who's headed towards death, and yet at the same time, the power and glory and goodness of God somehow resides in me. Do you feel that tension? Here's the truth. The truth is that following Christ in a fallen world is always going to be full of tension. We delude ourselves when we think otherwise. We're just lying to ourselves if we think that following Christ is going to be all health and wealth and goodness and nothing is going to harm us, nothing is going to come in our way, we're going to be total victors all the time and there's going to be no problems, no messiness, no nastiness that we're going to have to deal with. No, it is all about I'm blessed. And we are blessed, don't hear me wrong. But there's a tension that we feel because following Christ in a fallen world is going to be full of tension. I know we don't like that. I don't like that. I would prefer not to have tension. I would prefer that God had set it up that when he uh, saves me, that from that moment on, everything is hunky-dory. You know, everything is just coming up roses. I'm on cloud nine all the time, and I never sin, and I never have to deal with sin. I never have to deal with any problems. It's just all smooth sailing. But that's not what God did. That's not what God did. And and we so want to resolve the tension that God has placed us in, in his wisdom. And, And who are we to really question God's wisdom in this? Even when it feels wrong, it feels strange, it feels like it's not the way it should be, God has set it up this way. Following Jesus is going to have a lot of tension, like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9. Listen to these words. This is what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. You feel the tension in that? 
If we are afflicted in every way, we may be tempted to think that we are being crushed. But God reminds us in this passage that being afflicted in this life is not the final word. We will not be crushed because Jesus has given us eternal life and no one can take that life from us. It is an indestructible life. If we are perplexed about something, we may be tempted to be driven to despair, but God reminds us that being perplexed is not the final word. We will not be driven to despair because we have a sure and certain hope that is an anchor for our souls in Jesus Christ. If we are persecuted, we may be tempted to think that we have been forsaken by God. But God reminds us that being persecuted is not the final word because the crucified, persecuted, and resurrected Jesus has overcome. And so we too are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. In fact, and this is just an aside, this is for free, okay? This really isn't about the tension. This is just about American Christianity that we need to get out of. We need to stop thinking this way. We think that if we come to Christ, everything is great. Everything should be great. God should make everything just, you know, be beautiful and wonderful. Jesus says something different. 2 Corinthians 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ, Jesus will be persecuted. If anything, following Jesus kind of guarantees that there's going to come some persecution. Again, that was just for free. But even though we know we're going to be persecuted, we know that that persecution can only last for a short time. Again, as this passage says, if we have been struck down, we may be tempted to think we've been destroyed. It makes sense, right? If you strike me down, you've destroyed me. But God reminds us that even being struck down is not the final word because thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that victory often comes after suffering. As Paul goes on in, in 2 Corinthians 4, 10, and 11 to say, he says, always, we are always carrying in our bodies, in the, its body of death, the body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Let me put it in a way that I hope is extremely clear. We all want the resurrection. But you cannot have a resurrection unless there is first a death. We all want resurrection power and glory but you cannot get there apart from weakness and pain and death. That is the way of Jesus. That's what we see in him dying on a cross and being buried and then rising from the dead. Do you feel that 
tension that we're called to resurrection, but we're living a life that is constantly moving towards death. You know, back in 2019, there was a survey conducted about um, America's views of death. I found it fascinating. One of the questions asked was, how do you, oh, how afraid, how afraid are you of death? How afraid are you of death? 11% of those who said, 11% of those who took the survey said they were very afraid. 11%. 31% said that they were somewhat afraid. 27% said not very afraid. 25% said not at all afraid. I'm not afraid of death. Bring it. That's what those folks said. And then there were 7% who said, I don't know. I love the 7%. The people, I don't know. Am I afraid of death? I don't know. I'm just filling out this survey for some reason. Now, there are a couple of things about that survey I want to um, make clear. First, I'm not a math genius, nor am I an expert in statistical data, but even I know that percentages are supposed to add up to 100%, and if you do the math, those numbers add up to 101%. So that makes me a little bit suspicious of the survey. The other thing to note is that depending on who you ask, and Paul and I have had this conversation numerous times. Somewhere between 20 and 50% of people taking surveys may be lying. 20 to 50% of the people taking surveys may be lying, either knowingly or sometimes unwittingly. My guess is we really don't know how afraid we are of death until we're staring it in the face. You know, it's easy to say, oh, I'm not afraid of death until you're at death's door. <laughs> then it might be a different story. And that goes not just for physical death, but for metaphorical deaths too. When you experience a death, when you lose a friend. When you experience death, when you lose a job. When you experience death, when you lose something important to you. And let's face it, we're not fans of death. There are not very many people who are saying, sign me up for the death train, I want to go right now. But as followers of Christ, we recognize that the way to resurrection is through death. And you can't have one without the other as a follower of Christ. And so we live in this tension, this tension of the now and the not yet of our salvation. And there will be a lot of various kinds of tensions that we will experience in this life. Wow, I really should have broken this up into two sermons. Okay, so the next point, I'm going to go very quickly through this. The tempt, there's a temptation when you live in this tension. You want to resolve the tension. Right? When we are in tension, we want to resolve it. We want to make it one way or the other. In Sunday school class today, we were talking about both grace and truth. 
And there's a, sometimes we feel that tension because some of us want to lean towards grace, some of us want to lean towards truth, and you feel a little bit of tension in that. And we want to try to resolve it. We want to say one way or the other. It's just one way or the other. But the temptation for us when it comes to living in tension is we either want to overestimate or underestimate the now of our salvation in an ever-present reality in this life. Okay? We, the temptation to either overestimate or underestimate the now of our salvation is an ever-present reality in this life. L- let me show you what I mean. Who here can quote 2 Corinthians 5.17? I know somebody can. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What has happened to the old? It's passed away. What's, what's come? The new. Okay, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Doesn't that sound like, hey, I don't have to deal with sin anymore. I don't have to deal with problems anymore. I'm a new creation. What about what Paul says in Romans chapter 7? The same guy who says, I'm a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. He says, for I don't understand my own actions. And I don't do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good, so it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see my members, my body, uh, in my body, another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Do you feel the tension? I'm a new creation in Christ, and yet I still struggle with sin. The now and the not yet. We're not there yet. Think about what Paul says in Ephesians 1, 16 through 20. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. What Paul is saying in that passage is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that is at work in you. So why do we still sin? We're still wrestling with this tension of this is what God has done for us in Christ, and yet we're still tempted by sin. We still are dealing with sin because we haven't yet arrived. I, I, I mentioned this earlier in the, past, in, in the sermon, but His divine power, God's divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. And yet, sometimes we don't believe that. Right? And that's what I mean. When you under over, you either overestimate or underestimate what you are in Christ. 
The temptation is sometimes we think we're better than we really are. We think we've arrived. We think that nothing should be a problem for us because, hey, I'm a new creation in Christ. I, should, I shouldn't have to worry with sin. I shouldn't have to deal with this mess. I'm above that. To that, God says, eh, you're not there yet. But there's a flip side problem too, right? That we underestimate what God is doing in us. And we go, oh, I'll never change. I'll never get better. I'm just stuck here, and uh, it's never going to change. That's not true either. We can't overestimate or underestimate what God is doing in us right now. We have to stay in that tension of I'm following Jesus in a fallen world and everything is not going to go well, everything is not going to go right, but ultimately there will be victory. Ultimately. I just got to hang on until then. So living in the tension of the now and the not yet of our salvation is difficult. It's difficult. What I'm saying to you right now is really, really hard. But it is a necessary part of our being in process. Oh, how I despise that word process. For those parents who have gone on vacation on a long road trip, you know what's coming next. There's that question from the back. You've probably only been about 20 minutes down the road and you've got seven hours to go. Are we there yet? Dad, are we there yet? No, no, you're, we're not there yet. That is process. And we have to get more comfortable as followers of Christ, of being in process. We haven't arrived yet, but we're also not where we once were. This beautiful quote from John Newton, the same guy who wrote uh, Amazing Grace, he was a slave trader, and then he came to Christ. His whole life changed, but he constantly dealt with his own guilt and sin. Here's the quote. He says... I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world, but still I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. There's a man who understands process. I'm not who I want to be. I'm not even who I ought to be, yet I'm still not what I used to be. God isn't finished with me yet. Man, that's beautiful. And that's what I need to remind myself of over and over and over again. That living in the tension of the now and not yet means I'm in process. Not where I was, but I'm not yet where I'm going. All right, so some action points. If you like to take some action points home, here are some things. First, embrace the tension. Now, if you're thinking, what? Do I, how do I embrace tension? There's some subpoints. That's very Presbyterian. Embrace the tension. First, remind yourself of the process. 
Remind yourself that you are in process. You haven't yet arrived, but you're not where you were. Remind yourself of that. Second, don't lose heart because of the process. And let me just tell you, guys, this is where I struggle the most. I want to have arrived. I'm that kid in the back seat saying, are we there yet? Come on, God. Come on, Jesus. Are we there yet? I should be better than this. I shouldn't be falling into sin. I shouldn't be wrestling with this mess anymore. Why am I still wrestling with some of the same sins that I wrestled with when I was a teenager? This doesn't make sense, God. And I want to give up. I want to lose heart. And in those moments, the Spirit reminds me through His Word... He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. He will. You're not done yet. You're still in the oven baking. Let the process continue and don't lose heart. Third, and this is going to seem a little strange, but it's something that we, the church, are not good at. We need to mourn our setbacks and celebrate the victories. We need to mourn our setbacks. If you are an alcoholic, and if there's an alcoholic in the room, I'm sorry I'm using that, um, that this is an example, but it's something that everybody understands. If you are an alcoholic and you have fallen into, you've you've been sober for 10 years, and then one night, you just happen to take a little sip, and the next thing you know, you, you know, you're downing a whole bottle of wine or whatever. And then you wake up the next morning, and you are painfully aware of what you've thrown away. That's worth mourning. That's worth saying, oh, I wish that that hadn't happened and mourning the fact that you lost what you were doing. And at the same time, at the same time, while you're mourning, you can say, but you know what? Ten years isn't something to sneeze at. It's not something to throw away. And if I made it ten years, if God took me through ten years of sobriety, God can take me even further this next time. I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to believe that He can do that, and I'm just going to rest in His sovereign care for me. And try again. You mourn the setbacks, but you celebrate the victories. And then finally, most of all, the most important thing, walk by faith in Christ. You you can't do this by yourself. You've got to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. You've got to just take one step at a time. You've got to keep moving. Now at this point, I had three different um, sermon endings. And I had to try to decide. There was the white snake ending. I know you're very curious about that one. There was the baby ending, and there was the guitar ending. Um, I'm going to do the guitar ending. If you want to know what the other two are, wait for the director's cut to come out on the sermon. You know, we said, you guys know I'm a guitar player, and we've said that we don't like tension, Tension is bad. Tension is something we want to relieve. But you know what? When you're playing a guitar, 
If you want beautiful music to come from it, you've got to have some tension. If there's no tension on the strings, it sounds like this. How would that be for a worship song? Let's all worship Jesus, everybody. It sounds terrible, doesn't it? Because there's no tension on the strings. You've got to have tension in order for the, the beautiful music to come forth. And so when we embrace the tension, don't think about how hard it is. Look in faith to how God is going to make beautiful music out of the tension you're experiencing in the now and the not yet. So folks, let's focus on Jesus. That's what we need. Let's focus on Jesus and persevere through the process God is taking us by his spirit. Let me pray for us. Um, Lord Jesus, help us. Help us to embrace the tension in the ways that we need to and make beautiful music out of it so that one day we really will arrive and we will see your glory and we will reflect it back to you perfectly. But in the meantime, help us to deal with the process of how we get there. In Jesus' name, amen.